Welcome to Riverside Community Church. Uh, my name is Brian Doback. We're just so happy to have you here today. Uh, it's a beautiful day today. Uh, just things to celebrate today. Um, just so everybody knows, uh, Pastor Keith Grant and his wife Melissa, they had their baby last night. Yep. It's awesome. You know, that's just one example of um, what's going on, the greater things that are going on here at Riverside. It's just new life. New life. I mean, we're seeing it everywhere. You know, the Kavanaugh's and uh, the Garland's are having a baby, and I may miss others. I'm sorry. But the point is, it's just this new life here at Riverside, and it's just it's a blessing. Riverside's blessed um, to have such a wonderful mixture of people, uh, younger and older, and we're just seeing amazing things in all of this. And, you know, when, when we have all these babies uh, born, you know, I want us to just not look at them as just babies. <laughs> You know, these are, these are new generations. These are new futures. That's what they are, and we need to celebrate this. And we're going to see a little bit of that today here in today's scripture. It's just this concept of uh, the future and, and, and generations and what this all mean, means. And we're going to see Jesus uh, in all of this. Um, so before we get started, I want to pray over uh, the scripture today and uh, before I even say a word about it. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for bringing everybody to Riverside today, Lord. This is, this is uh, God, the faithful Labor Day weekend staycation uh, crew, and we're just thankful for them uh, to come here and to hear a word from you, Lord. I pray that uh, they hear you and they see you, and they don't hear me and they don't see me, God. Uh, I want them to get to know you, because uh, when we get to know you, Lord, uh, life um, is just filled with joy. Uh, Lord. Hardship may not go away, God, but it's all for a purpose, Lord, and you're growing us and sharpening us and molding us, um, Lord, and and you're using all of this, Lord. You're using our kids in all of this, and um, you're using community in all of this, Lord, and we just thank you for these things, and I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Awesome. So before we get started, I just want to show you a picture of my daughter. Um, (laughs) There's a reason for this. I'm not just showing you a random picture. You know, I know she looks really sweet, um, but you're not seeing the whole picture. Uh, you're, you know, there's more to this than meets the eye. You're not getting the wider perspective of what's going on here. So let's zoom out and see what's really going on here. <laughs> Just making a total mess of our living room. She's giving CPR to a Cabbage Patch kid. and It's just a mess. But now you get the whole picture, right? So this, this concept, we're going to see this in today's scripture of, you know, we're seeing a, a little story going on here in, in the characters of uh, the book of Ruth, um, and then we're going to zoom out and we're going to see the greater story and the greater artistry of God and what he's been doing uh, in the book of Ruth. So we're going to see a similar perspective as, as, as this, and today it's the final scripture of our Ruth sermon series. It's the final one. You know, we've been in this for about two and a half, three months, I think. And uh, it's all tying together now. And everything up today, it hasn't been the full story. It hasn't been the full story. There's been more going on in the book of Ruth than meets the eye. And, and we're going to see that today. We're going to get the full story. So for the last two months, we've been zoned in on Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz, and we've seen what God has been doing in their lives. We've seen it. But today, we have the luxury to once again step into the world of Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz, right, and... and and then zooming in on their lives, and then we also have the luxury of seeing their story come together, and then zooming out and see the greater story of what's going on. 
So this is what we're going to do today. We're going to review what has happened in the book of Ruth. We're going to see what God has done. We're going to see what he's doing. And then we're going to see what God is going to do in his redemptive plan. And we're going to talk about what it means for us today, what it means for us today, what, what the implications are on our lives through all of this. And what I want us to leave all here with is, is this statement. I want us to leave here with the statement of God's loving faithfulness. God's loving faithfulness should cause us to live redemptively. God's loving faithfulness should cause us to live redemptively. So let's get into the scripture. Open up your Bibles to chapter 4, Ruth chapter 4, verses 13 through 22. We're going to read the first four verses here. Verses 13 and the beginning of verse 17. So the scripture says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. So Boaz finally marries Ruth, and they have a child. This is the moment that we have been anticipating since the beginning of the book of Ruth. This is the moment that we have been waiting for. How did we get here? How did we get here? To answer this, I want to review where we've been, but I want to do it by starting where we are today, and I want to move backwards to the very beginning of Ruth. And what we're going to see is at the very beginning of Ruth, there's this singular moment, a singular event that makes everything after in Ruth possible. This event is why we're seeing what we're seeing now in today's scripture. So let's move backwards, starting in today's scripture. So Boaz Boaz and Ruth, they have a child. So for that to happen, as the kinsman redeemer, Boaz has to marry Ruth. Boaz marries Ruth. Okay? So they get married because Boaz's obedience to God's law and Naomi and Ruth's obedience and action in pursuing redemption. Now they take action because... They take action because Naomi saw hope with her own eyes. She saw hope because Boaz blessed Ruth immensely with provision, grain, food, water. Boaz blessed her. Boaz blessed her because he met her as she was working and gathering grain, and she just happened to be in Boaz's field. She just happened to be in Boaz's field. Ruth and Naomi, they're even in this position. They're even in this position because they returned to Bethlehem from Moab. Now, Naomi and her family were in Moab because there was a famine in Bethlehem, and they had left for greener pastures. In Moab, Naomi's husband and sons died, so she was completely hopeless. Completely hopeless. So why did they return to Bethlehem? In the very beginning of Ruth, why did they return to Bethlehem? This is where it all began. This is the catalyst of what made everything possible in the story of Ruth and Boaz and Naomi. Chapter 1, verse 6. 
she heard that God visited his people and provided them with food. (laughs) That's not a small detail. That's the story here. That means God is faithful. God is faithful. God's faithfulness got the wheels turning here. It's because of God. It's not because of anything Ruth and Boaz did. They went along for the ride. God took them along with him. It's because of God's faithfulness. It all began with his faithfulness that put them on a course for redemption. It was his seismic faithfulness that Naomi felt in Moab. It moved her needle and drew her back to Bethlehem in the promised land and took Ruth along with her. It was God who started turning the wheels and his faithfulness. So let's go through again, okay? Let's go through the story of Ruth again briefly. So because he's faithful, right, God provided for his people. Because he's faithful, God provided for his people. People, Because he's faithful, God drew Naomi back to Bethlehem and took Ruth along for the ride as well. That's because God is faithful. Because he's faithful, the heart of Naomi planned their way, but God established their steps. God established their steps. Because he's faithful, God established Ruth's steps and placed her in Boaz's field. That was God. God is faithful and God is sovereign. Because he's faithful through Naomi's plan, God connected Ruth and Boaz at the threshing floor. Naomi put together this plan of action, but God was in that. That was God working through Naomi bringing them together on the threshing floor because he's faithful. Because he's faithful, God brought Boaz and Ruth together, redeeming Ruth and Naomi and perpetuating Elimelech's line. Praise God. Because he's faithful, Boaz and Ruth have a child which brings to them the redemption that they've been seeking this entire story. Because he's faithful, God broke Naomi down And built her back up into someone better than she was before. Because he's faithful, Naomi went from in the beginning bitter and hopeless to in the end joyful and redeemed. Joyful and redeemed. Because he's faithful, the story began with death and famine. But because he's faithful, by the end, it ends in life, new life. Resurrection, redemption, and restoration. And because he's faithful, it's actually not even really about Boaz. It's not about Naomi, and it's not about Ruth. And that's because he's faithful. So let's continue in the Scripture, and we're going to zoom out a little bit. Okay, we're going to zoom out a little bit, and we're going to see a greater story going on here. Verse 17 through 22. So after they named him Obed, it says, He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nishan. Nishan fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Awesome, a genealogy. (laughs) We love genealogies, right? 
No, we don't. I don't know. That was a rhetorical question. We often think, oh, spare me when we get to a genealogy. Skip it. No, this is God's word. He has a purpose and a plan for these genealogies in Scripture. A genealogy, it's a striking way to see the continuity of God's purposes and his plan throughout history. You see, the process of history, it's not haphazard. God is sovereign over everything. He's not just sovereign over events. He's sovereign over generations. He's sovereign over days and hours and minutes and seconds and milliseconds. That's a lot to take in there. God is sovereign over all of that. So as we zoom out here, the author gives us a perspective of God's greater work in his redemptive plan. What is that? Which is, it's continuing the line to the greatest king of Israel, David. So what does that mean? What are the implications of that? You see, it wasn't about this child Obed. It wasn't about Obed. And it's actually not even about this child, David. It's about another child, Jesus. It's about Jesus. So now let's, let's zoom out even more. Let's see the grand artistry of the living God. We're going to look in Matthew chapter 1 at the genealogy of Jesus. And it's up there on the screen. This is God's word. So the scripture says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nishan, and Nishan the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Oz, and Oz the father of Ezekiel, and Ezekiel the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconoah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. Praise God. (laughs) This is big stuff. We're at a high level. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconoah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abud, and Abud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Akim, and Akim the father of Iliud, and Iliud the father of Eliezer, and Eliezer the father of Methan, and Methan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, who to Jesus was born, who was called Christ. It's all about Jesus. It always was about Jesus. And it remains to be about Jesus today. And it always will be about Jesus. It will be about Jesus tomorrow. It will be about Jesus next year. Ten years from now, it will be about Jesus. So, because He's faithful, God worked through Boaz and Ruth to continue the lineage to King David. 
and ultimately to bring the Messiah. Because he's faithful, the Father perpetuated the line to the Son. He perpetuated the line to the Son. The book of Ruth was never really about Ruth or Naomi or Boaz. It was never about them or this redemptive romance between two people, Boaz and Ruth. It was all about God's redemptive romance with us. With us. With humanity. And now that genealogy is a mixed bag. There's faithfulness in there, but there's some putrid living in there. Some serious rebellion and unfaithfulness. You go down that list of, in, in Matthew 1 and read their stories. Wow, are they a mess. Total mess. But God redeemed it all. Not because of who we are or anything we did, but it's because God is faithful. He said He would do it, and He did it. God is faithful. It's not about our mess. It's about Jesus and His redemption. It's about Jesus willing to take on a messy, dead, and hopeless foreigners like us who will say, just like Ruth did in chapter 2, verse 10, when she was saying to Boaz, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Man, so how does this apply in our lives? When we leave those doors, what do we take home with us here? I see the big picture. I see what you did there in zooming out and seeing the big picture of what's really going on here in the book of Ruth, but what do I do with this? Guys, I want to ask you a question. Do you think, do you think Ruth and Boaz knew that their offspring would one day produce the greatest king of Israel and ultimately the Messiah? No. They had no idea. They had no idea. Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz could see what, was God, what God was doing right in front of them, but they didn't know what God was doing in redemptive history. Several weeks ago, Keith was talking about how here we only see like this much, right? God sees all of it, but he just wants us to be faithful with this. Can we just do that? Can we just be faithful with this? And God will take care of the rest. See, Ruth and Boaz, they were a part of a redemptive plan far greater than themselves, and they didn't even know it. Ruth wasn't a queen or a prophetess. Boaz was not a king or a priest or a prophet. He was just a normal dude, just like you and me. He's living his life faithfully, not perfectly, faithfully. They simply lived faithfully in the stations of life that they were in. Not perfectly, but faithfully, and God took care of the rest. God raised up Ruth and Boaz for the purpose of living lives together that glorify him, that glorify him, and for the purpose of one day bringing Jesus to the world. Okay, I see that on that side of redemptive history. Well, what about now? What is it now on this side of Jesus? Today, as believers in Jesus Christ, God has drawn us to himself for the purpose of living for him and glorifying him and showing people Jesus. It went to bringing people, to bringing Jesus, to showing Jesus. 
It's all about Jesus. So where does that leave us? It goes back to the statement, God's loving faithfulness should cause us to live redemptively. That should cause us to live redemptively, live redemptive lives. What does that look like? Man, I can't even wrap my head around that. Tell me what that looks like. What is a redemptive life? All we need to do is look at the examples we've learned from Naomi and Ruth and Boaz and ultimately Jesus himself. Redemptive living is redemptive living is repentant living. It's repenting of our sin. We saw this in Naomi in the beginning of Ruth where she goes back to Bethlehem. It was an act of repentance. She was where she shouldn't have been. God worked. He was faithful and she goes back. She goes back to Bethlehem. It's an act of repentance. Redemptive living is surrendered living. Surrendered living. We saw this in Ruth. Ruth surrendered her whole life for the God of Israel. She left Moab and everything about it, everything about her old life. And what'd she say to Naomi? Where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your God will be my God. We saw this perfectly in Jesus surrendering to the Father. The night before his crucifixion, praying to the Father, Father, take this cup away from me, but let your will be done and not mine. Surrender. Redemptive living is is love and action. It's love and action. We saw this in Ruth, choosing to go with Naomi, forsaking her old life. We saw the two opposites of Orpah. Orpah and Ruth had the same choice. Orpah loved Naomi, but not enough, I guess. Orpah stayed. She didn't put her love into action. Ruth did. Ruth did. We saw this perfectly in Jesus on the cross. That's love in action. That's love in action. Redemptive living is prayerful living. It's prayerful living. We saw this in Naomi. Hopeless. And yet she stayed in the story. She goes back to Bethlehem. She repents and she stays in the story. And we see what happens. Now we see this perfectly in Jesus' life. His prayer life was just unmatched then. It's unmatched today. His reverence was the Father was perfect. We see that in his prayer life in the Gospels. Redemptive living is obedient living. We saw this in Ruth and Boaz. Right? We saw this in Ruth obeying Naomi and serving her out of love. And we saw this in Boaz being obedient to God's law. Obedient to God's law in providing redemption for these widows, Naomi and Ruth. We saw this in Jesus where he sacrificed his life. He was obedient to the point of death. Obedient to the point of death. Redemptive living is sacrificial. Redemptive living costs something. It costs something to live redemptively. We saw this in Ruth and Boaz. Ruth gave up everything. It costed her everything, her old life in Moab. And we saw this in Boaz, where he had a choice, just like the unnamed man. 
The unnamed man wanted the land, but he didn't want Ruth. It was too much of a sacrifice. So he didn't do it. Boaz is like, I'll do it. That's a sacrifice I'm willing to make. And we saw this in Jesus on the cross. Sacrificing his life. The ultimate cost for us. Redemptive living is community living. Community living. We saw this in Boaz. When Boaz made that choice and was obedient to God's law and took on Ruth and the inheritance, he had the community in mind. He didn't just have himself in mind. He didn't live in this individualistic mindset. He had the community in mind. He didn't just live in community. He lived for community. And we saw this in Jesus. He lived for community. He ate with sinners. And finally, most importantly, redemptive living is it's faithful living. It's not perfect, sinless living. We can't do that. But redemptive living is faithful living. We saw this in Ruth and Naomi and Boaz all throughout the book of Ruth. And we see this perfectly in Jesus. He never wavered in his reverence in the Father. Never wavered. So just like everything in the story of Ruth began with God's loving faithfulness, living a redemptive life begins with God's faithfulness to us. The only reason we have a chance at living that kind of a life is because of God and what he did through his son Jesus, through his faithfulness. And living redemptively expresses itself in our faithfulness to God and to others. That's redemptive living. Without faith, all those other things around it, they just go away. They go away. Without faith, sure, you can pray, but what are you praying to? Mother Nature? The stars? The universe? We pray to a living God. Right? Sure, you can, you can live obediently, but what are you being obedient to? If it's not the living God, are you being obedient to a gold statue of an overweight, bald guy? No, be obedient to a living God. Obedient to a living God. No faith means you are not redeemed. It means you're not redeemed, and if you're not redeemed, you cannot live a redemptive life. Try all you want, you're going to lose every time. And that does not glorify God. It does not glorify God. This is the kind of living that God uses, redemptive living. This is the kind of living that God uses to draw people to himself and impact individuals and families and communities. But it actually doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. God uses our redemptive living to transform and impact future generations People that we will never know. We won't even know them. You know what one of my biggest pet peeves is? I never want to hear this out of your mouth. Seriously. When people, they act like or they say they don't care. They don't care about what happens in their family down the road because I'm going to be gone. What does it matter? Dude, it does matter. 
It does matter. What, just because you're not around, people don't matter? Those people? It does matter. That's, that's weak, selfish, man-centered perspective right there. God wants us to have strong, God-centered, eternal perspective on life and our families. I want to tell you a personal testimony. So my dad's dad, my grandfather, when my dad was 20 years old, he cheated on his mom, my grandmother. And he left the family when my dad was 20, and my dad never saw him ever again. My dad's 65 now. He destroyed a marriage. He destroyed a family. And he cut a chunk out of my dad's heart. And I know my dad would tell you it doesn't affect him. It does. I know it does. And it doesn't just affect him, it affects me too. We're supposed to have three men in our lives. We're supposed to have a father and two grandfathers. That's best case scenario. I didn't have a grandfather I should have had. That's another man. That's a manhood that should have been in my life. I praise Jesus for coming into my life. And then you have a very, very, very good friend of mine. Very good friend of mine. His father cheated on his mom. And he repented. He was repentant. And he turned back to God. The family remains. The family's blessed. The family flourishes. It's not perfect. It's a faithful family. They saw repentance in action when they were younger. And the family is blessed for it. Genealogies and heritage, they mean something. They were extremely important to people back then. More so today. That's why you see all the genealogies in Scripture. They kept track of the genealogies. God used that. It was very important to them back then. It's not as important back to us, to us today. You know, I could meet somebody right now, like this man right here. Hey, what's your name, man? Sean. Sean, nice to meet you. I'm Brian, son of Doug Jr., son of Doug Sr., <laughs> son of Nicholas, right? We don't do that anymore. <laughs> if somebody does that, they're going to look at you like, what, are you crazy? <laughs> I would. I would think, like, what is this, the Lord of the Rings? I totally ripped that joke off Ezra from last week. <laughs> Guys, Boaz, he knew where he stood. Boaz knew exactly where he stood. He knew who came before him. And he knew that there would be those who would come after him. He knew where he stood. Boaz didn't know what the future held, but he knew who held his future which was the God of Israel, the living God. He knew his actions could have an impact on those generations. Boaz and Ruth, they lived redemptively where they were. And God used it. He did the rest. He did it to bring the greatest king of Israel, David, and ultimately Jesus. They ended up being one link in a long line leading up 
to the Messiah. Think about that. The Savior of the world. That's a big plan. That's big living. God uses us for that. Man, he did that. What can he do now through us? What can he do now through us? God wants you to have the eternal perspective on your life and live redemptively where you are now. As a believer, God is working in your life. But like Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz, you may never see the fullness. You may never see it. You may never see what exactly God's doing, but that's okay. That's all right. God's plan for you, it's not reserved only to your life. Get over yourself. It's not about you. Clearly, God's plan for Ruth and Boaz stretched beyond their lifetime. He had a plan for them, but it stretched beyond them. And it's the same thing for us today. He can use your legacy of faith and stretch it to future generations and impact them, and you'll never know it or see it. But that doesn't mean you don't live for them now. He can use your faith now to show people Jesus later. So as a believer, you're part of a redemptive story. Live like it. Live like it. Take ownership of it. This is big living. I don't want to live for my daughter. I want to live for Jesus. Because when you live for Jesus, your perspective widens. And I'll live for my daughter, but I'm going to live for her kids. And I'm going to live for her kids too, and their kids, and their kids, and their kids. Care. Care. You know, this may be an easy concept to grasp, but often, like, we don't live like this. It's so easy for us to forget where we are in God's plan. You know, we become so individualistic in society. It's all about me. It's all about me. When you leave those doors, don't peel back tomorrow. Read a genealogy. Get your mind right. Get your perspective right. Don't get caught up in the world of self and lose focus of the big picture. Because when we understand that without God's saving grace through Jesus Christ, we are in a situation in which we're going to lose every single time. Every single time. Cling to Jesus. Keep the eternal perspective and live redemptively. And then just let God take care of the rest. That's all He wants. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, this is a big word. Lord, this is a big word, and God, this applies to all of us. It applies to me. It applies to everyone, Lord. Even if we don't have kids, even if we're not able to have kids, Lord, there's community around us. There's community around us that we can impact, and we can impact a child. We can impact a person. And their future can change, which sets them on a course for redemption. Lord, let this just soak into our hearts and our minds. Let us respond as we leave those doors today and go home and look at our homes differently, look at our neighborhoods differently, our communities differently. Lord, we thank you for, to have your word in our hands for us to be able to read and pick apart and study
Lord. We thank you and we're grateful for you, for your loving faithfulness, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name.